welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with boss ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Boss Ladies is intended to inspire women and men of all ages to overcome their fears, explore moonshot thinking, speak up for who they are and what they believe in, and move up in their respective industries. Every day we are faced with challenges, so it is my intention to empower you to get the advice you need by interviewing top executives who have been through it all. Well, welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. Thank you for having me, Olivia. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. I'm excited too. So you have been in the Sony family for like 10 years now, and you recently resigned to pursue your passion. Yes, yes. Um, You know, I was still working with Sony until the end of the year, but I have decided to move on and decide what the next step is very deliberately. That is awesome. Can you tell us a little bit, just backing up, can you tell us a little bit about what piqued your interest in the industry and how you got to your role as SVP of commercial at Sony Music? Sure. So I have always been passionate about music. I was raised in a very musical family, very classical music focus. My grandfather was a huge supporter of opera. And I spent my time going to operas, having been raised in New York City. I learned how to play the piano at a very young age. I used to open up the back of the piano and play the strings, wishing I had a harp, which sooner or later I did get, you know, sang a classical Italian opera myself. And so I thought I'd be a performer. But, you know, performers, it's a very difficult life. And not only do you have to sort of hustle that life, you're amongst people that are very specifically hustling that life as well. So it turned out that working on the business side was a better fit for me. That's awesome. I love that image of like picturing you playing the strings of the piano. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, re- I really did. I had a player piano at the beginning. You know, my parents were unsure whether it's something I would pursue. And so I had this old player piano. They had, re- you know, taken out the, the guts <laughs> and I would open the little drawers and just stick my hands in there. And I, I just love the sound of the harp. It's beautiful. That's amazing. And so how did you take your first step into sort of the corporate aspect of music? Well, I had finished high school and started at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts to pursue musical theater. And I very quickly realized it wasn't for me. When it when push came to shove and, um, you know, I was studying Lotsi comedy, it just, I just wasn't enjoying it like I thought I would. That brought me into spring semester where I wasn't going to go back, but I wasn't doing anything out of properly applied to college. So, you know, back then looked into the back of the New York Times classified section, yes, the paper, <laughs> and saw an ad for a paid intern at AM Records. And, you know, AM was part of the Sony family, actually, believe it or not. And then they had a, a studio. And so I applied through the mail. Got a call. <laughs> yes, actually sent my resume, got a call back, and that began my career in the actual music business. Wow. So from there, I quickly realized it was my passion. It was so exciting. There'd be musicians playing instruments that obviously I had a love for, the soundboards 
parties. It was just exciting. And during that time that I spent about six months there as an intern, I was applying to school and very quickly got accepted to Emerson College. And they had a great production program and new media, as they called it back in the day, you hear it sometimes, but um, they had a new media production program. And, you know, at the time, web television was like becoming popular. And my friends were working in web television. So another side of production where you see people doing video on the internet. And I was like, I want to learn this. So, you know, off to Boston, I went leaving behind, sadly, Dream Factory Studios and studying how to build websites and CD-ROMs, which is essentially interactive games. You know, I was learning that and very heavily in the music scene. So I started making websites for my friends that were hip hop artists and R&B singers and, you know, furthered my passions all through college interning at the local radio station. You know, most of us in the music business have a similar path. I thought I was alone back then, but essentially everyone I know had the same <laughs> same things going on. But right after school, I did my last semester in LA and started working for Russell Simmons Digital 3D company. They were making music videos uh, in 3D for like Master P and some of the artists back then. And really enjoying that when September 11th came and I really wanted to be back in New York and, of course, came to New York when everybody was leaving it. And we were in a bit of a depression at the time. And, you know, at that point, I knew I wanted to be in the music business, but it was like a rough time to try to get an assistant job. So a producer friend of mine told me that, hey, maybe you should start doing paralegal work. Like, that's what I'm doing on the side to make extra money. And, you know, I was an academic, so I was even thinking about going to law school. I agreed to, to consider the paralegal position and went to his consulting agency. And the woman looked, took one look at my resume and said, what are you doing here? You should be in the music business. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, maybe I want to be a lawyer, but I don't know. And she said, well, my husband, who during this interview happened to be standing 10 feet away from her as they worked from their home office, uh, my husband standing here is actually working for the executive vice president of Universal Music's new head of new media. And I mean, I mean, can you get more kismet? Than I was going to say, that's like a series of fortunate <laughs> events. That's so awesome. he took my resume faxed it over and I got an interview the next day. And from there started working for Steve Leeds, who was, like I said, the EVP of new media for Universal Motown and uh, a former very well-known radio promotion person who's still in the business today. He's, you know, at Sirius XM and, and we are still friends today and actually helped his daughter, Katie Leeds, get a job at the orchard where she still works today. So so. And where I know her. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what Steve taught me, and just to pause there, is you never know when you're going to see people again. You never know, you know, how people can help you. 
truly, he was a relationship person. I did. I never had a bad experience like a lot of people did with a yeller of a boss or that sort of thing. Like Steve was just a lovely human being. And, you know, his best advice was to be a lovely human being. Um, so I try to spread that advice as we go along. But I love that. Anyway, Steve, Steve's passions was actually not new media. Not a lot of people during that time were, were passionate about the digital business, believe it or not, because I mean, Apple iTunes hadn't even launched yet. Right. So it's super early and our budgets were super low. And Steve told me one day after maybe a, just about a year of being at Universal that he was going to Virgin Records. Virgin was, you know, landing in New York City and building a robust record label. And he was going to go run radio promotion um, at Virgin. And I said, take me with you. <laughs> and he said, are you crazy? You're leaving like the, the, the digital business. This is the future of the record company. And I'm like, no, I want to learn from the ground up. You know, looking back on that now, I wonder what what would have happened if I stayed. But you know, I'm very happy to say I did learn the business from the ground up. I followed Steve Leeds over to Virgin Records, where I worked with the Rolling Stones and the Xyz and a lot of very famous producers like um, Matt Serletic, who did Matchbox Twenty, and Josh Joich, who went on to found Downtown Music and Patrick Moxie went on to found Ultra Records, who I also worked for down the line. Um, so Virgin was great. I learned about, again, a lot of relationships and something that definitely taught me about the business of account management and sales later on. Again, a business about relationships. So from there, I actually stayed in the EMI family to work at Caroline Distribution. And, you know, again, my passion was music and I love to listen to music constantly. I wanted to know about the newest, greatest stuff. I was really into like Thievery Corporation and Ninja Tune Records and Nature Sounds and all these like cool, hip indie labels. Um, so I went over to work for Caroline. We're like, we put out, you know, Franz Ferdinand before the majors got their hands on them. And, and everybody was just really excited about music. So at Caroline, I was really learning about the sales business and shipping CDs and vinyl. Because we were <laughs> doing that back then. And how far I came from the digital business to go, to go through time from radio promotion to physical. And from there, you know, I went on to, to run Ultra Records sales department. And, you know, that was a really exciting time for electronic music because, you know, I, I remember putting out Calvin Harris's first record and hell, I think I pushed out 500 of them and wow. barely because no one <laughs> knew who he was. But, you know, working with Armin Van Buren and a lot of those huge, huge artists that were, you know, electronic music wasn't very cool at the time, but it was growing in popularity. So, you know, and all the while, like having a great time being around people that understood and love music as much as I did, and really taking a travel through the music business and how things worked. And right about that time is when iTunes launched and the business started to talk about digital and what was next. And that's when I felt like it was time for me to return to the digital side. So <laughs> I, you know, through my contacts, I just started talking to people saying like I was looking for my next thing. And I was invited to join ADA Warner Music Group's distribution company as the head of mobile marketing. 
So it was the beginning of the mobile business. It was really like no one knew what they were doing. All of a sudden, these music people were arriving at these mobile cellular you know, cellular phone conventions. <laughs> and it, all of a sudden, it was a party. It was a really boring place to be <laughs> before that. But, you know, the music you know world started to take things by storm. I started going to AT&T for meetings on ringtones. And so there we go with like moving back into that digital space. And, uh, you know, there were, there was a, a company called Helio at the time that was doing like web TV on televisions, very early phases of that. So that was really exciting because here we are like coming full surf circle, probably like 10 years later from there. Uh, you know, I spent five years at Warner and, um, you know, then became the head of the digital department. So was overseeing all the people overseeing YouTube and um, Apple and iTunes and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And streaming was starting to be talked about and labels were really nervous about putting their stuff on YouTube. Shouting out Steve Savoka now, um, who's at Apple, but he was running Domino Records at the time. And I remember having countless conversations of, about what it means to have music on YouTube and what it means for people to be able to access everything and how does that affect sales. We're really leading up to that moment where Spotify is launching. And that came shortly after I joined the Orchard. And where I Orchard is where I stayed for the next eight years of my career. Orchard was a very global company. I mean, when I started my job, I had one employee. And when I left after eight years to go to Sony Music Proper, I had 75 employees in 20 cities across the world. So it was an immense time of growth and a lot of excitement and having people and resources and colleagues that lived in other parts of the world where, for example, Spotify had already launched and everybody knew about it and was so excited about it. And uh, us in the US still were, you know, dealing with iTunes at 90% <laughs> of the business. But during that time, it was really exciting. And I, you know, obviously grew my team and grew my skill set and learn to embrace data and and bring that into the teams and advertising and how to market. And then, you know, essentially, I realized that it was time for me to diversify my career. And Sony was obviously a my family. And so I was used to going to meetings up at the corporate office. And when they asked me to join the team and run the catalog, it was a very natural fit. Obviously, running the catalog means that anything 40 months or older from, you know, Chainsmokers first album to Bob Dylan's, you know, first album was under my purview. So a huge amount of revenue and, you know, a really exciting place. And yeah, and so that's brought me to today. And then you wonder, why am I leaving? The last 17 years of my life has been a bit of a waterfall of good fortune and good people. And, you know, it's time to think about what's next very deliberately, like I said at the beginning. Yeah, I love this. I mean, I love hearing how sort of the industry, like the music industry as a whole evolved as you were evolving in your career. I mean, that's a really cool time to have been a part of the industry. So as a leader in the industry, what are some of the biggest challenges you faced throughout that time and how did you handle them? Well, I think that I, I actually, in what you just said, 
brings up a topic that I think could be interesting to talk about, which is the challenge of being a leader in this period of time. Because I was someone who understood not having a cell phone and waiting for a friend at the Astor Place Cube, you know, (laughs) and then not arriving and wondering what happened. But then also, obviously, having embraced technology to started the mobile department at, you know, Warner's Distribution Company is that I think one of the biggest challenges, I'm very happy to have lived during this part and enjoying my career, but really the challenge of bridging the past and the future is one that's, you know, not taken lightly because, you know, it's not that in, in a company like the Orchard, there's a lot of very digital focused people um, sort of pointed in the same direction because the Orchard has always been a digital company from the very beginning. But that's an anomaly in the business today. Most of the other, well, all of the other organizations besides the Orchard that I've worked at were rooted in physical and traditional business. So I think the biggest challenge that I've had you know, as a leader and as an employee, growing leader in the business is bridging that the old way and the traditional way and the new ways of thinking and being able to communicate to sort of different generations that grew up very differently, but still be, you know, respectful and positive because obviously those work for a, a reason, right? And it's really the distribution mechanism that's changed. Um, so I think the biggest challenge is being able to sort of bridge that gap. And the way I I think I've been successful in it is really by using the facts to sort of back up my hypotheses and, and you know, and get people on board to, to going towards the future. And I think data has really been a big part of that because I you know a lot of people get trapped in data, but... I, if, if you told me 17 years ago that I'd be a data minded per- person running a commercial insights and data team, I told you you were crazy. <laughs> like I was the last person that wanted to look at numbers and all my family members that knew me back then, I would say the same thing. I was definitely more creative, but I've learned and the most, one of the most important things is using data tactically as part of a whole. So not using it in a silo, but truly being having creative ideas or having ideas and how things can work better. And then looking at the data to be able to bring those two things together, opinion and fact to then prove a point and get people to maybe try something they might not be willing to try otherwise. I think that's awesome. Um, so to jump topics a little bit from focusing on your career in music, but to really think about like you as a leader and as a female leader, I want to ask a question that I was actually asked. I spoke at the Male Ally Summit a few weeks ago, and someone came up, up to me after and asked a really great question. And I figured I'd ask an expert the question <laughs> instead. So she was talking about how she's a leader at her company and she works with like seven other men on her team. And she finds that they often are labeling her as like aggressive when she's trying to communicate her points across. And she was asking like, why, like, how do I get my points across? Should I be offended that I'm being called aggressive? Should I ignore it? Like, how do I handle that situation? And also, how do I communicate better so that my points are heard without 
getting those negative labels associated with it. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I'll say (laughs) it's not always easy. You know, I've definitely been challenged across the way as being called aggressive. I like to take that word, reclaim it and use assertive instead because a man is normally assertive and a woman is aggressive, right? It happens all the time. (laughs) I think sometimes, to be honest, you can't avoid it. Like it's going to happen. Going back to data, like to be able to use, whether it be numbers and data or the facts and couple that with, you know, a, a very strong argument as far as like very methodical and being really well prepared and very simple and direct when trying to communicate is sometimes the best way to deal with that negative male energy or that unresponsive male energy. Listen, by the way, not all men are created equal as women are not created equal. So, you know, I've had positive and negative experiences, but I'd say that women tend to be able to do a lot of things at once. It's been proven that men don't always think that way. What I've personally found is that sim- like that simplifying things, being direct, knowing exactly what I want to accomplish in what, a meeting and really sticking to that one particular vein of thought and, and kind of facts helps. Because I think women can talk about a lot of things at the same time. But again, I think that you know, men are not always able to do that. And I think also age and generation has something to play in that as well. I think that we in a digital world who have grown up in that world can tend to speak really fast, to think really fast and to go from one point to another really easily. I know I am totally somebody that does that. And I found that in a more traditional communication atmosphere, if, if again, you can simplify things and boil it down and be very clear and speak slower, that it really does help to get the point across. I think that's fantastic. What do you think that men can be doing to be better allies and support women in the workplace? I think that it's simple, but it's listening to really listen and listen to your colleague, listen to what they're saying. If you do believe that it is a beneficial thing, then supporting what they're saying, not necessarily repeating it in the room, but calling out your colleague to say, wait, did everybody hear what Olivia just said? Because I think that Women are not often heard in the room in the same way a man is. You know, we can say, hey, listen better, but that may not always be happening. So I'd say that, you know, somebody told me this once, but having like a fellow man in the room to say, stop, you know, Catch has said that already would be a very positive thing. Because I, I, I do think that it all happens in the moment. It's not really always about what the person is saying, but how it's received, the energy around it, really stopping to make a point in the moment and continue to do that is going to help break the behavior going forward. And I I think you can take that 
you know, take that idea and apply it to a lot of the conversations that you're saying, like positive behavior begets positive behavior. So just trying to change the rhetoric. Yeah, no, I think that's really great. I think a lot of people start to say like, oh, men need to listen. But I like the way that you're saying not only just listen, but like actively listen and give credit back to whoever is speaking and like making sure that everyone has really heard that person. So it's not just you listening, but also making sure others are listening as well. Yeah, because it it gets it gets kind of tiring for a woman to and, and maybe this is when the aggressive part comes in. It gets tiring for a woman to say, well, I'm the one who said that. That is then seen as aggressive or a know-it-all. But, but sometimes you should, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that because I definitely have been in the space where I have to say, hey, I said that. But there are other people in the room that know that you said that too. Whether they're male or female, very politely, assertively, tactically, to be able to just say that, you know, and support that other colleague in the room, I think is helpful. Because again, in the moment is when things are really most palpable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I want to talk to you a little bit today about advocating for yourself. Because I know you're very good at that. (laughs) (laughs) So you're resigning from Sony Music to sort of pursue and explore other opportunities and continuing to learn and grow. Um, how did you find the courage to make that decision? And how'd you do it? I think that I have finally gotten to a place in my career where I'm confident about my skill set and also very thoughtful and sincere about what I give to an organization and then what I'd like to take away. I think that, you know, looking forward to the next 10 years of my career, I want to make an impact. And I believe that I've given a lot of time to Sony and the Orchard family, which I thoroughly loved and enjoyed and really gained a lot of skills and had the opportunity to grow in immense ways. You know, I I just want to make a change. I believe that diversity and career and skill set is important. I have always been of the mind to learn from different people and experience different things. And you know, it's really easy to get comfortable. And it's really easy to continue in the same family and be a part of the same team. But I, I really made a conscious decision in life to, to change it up to be honest. And, you know, in my personal life right now, I've recently gotten engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Which is a huge accomplishment for me. You know, I've spent most of my time focusing on work and, you know, I made a dedicated effort to really focus on my personal life a little later to the game than some women, some friends of mine. But, you know, I was very purposeful in knowing that I wanted a life that was not only work, but it was fun and, you know, personally satisfying. Because work is like a lot of fun for me too. You know, I, I get a lot out of it. But so I think at this point in my life, looking at how positive and happy I am about my personal career. I'd like to continue to grow in, in my professional career as well. And I think that, you know, I miss the digital tech forward, innovative business of what's next, like not always knowing what's next. And it's not exactly the easiest part of the business, but I think 
I am a creator at heart and an innovator. And I, I look forward to that next step where that's what uh, I will be pursuing. Awesome. Can I ask, are you thinking about staying in the music industry or are you exploring other industries? So I'm exploring everything. I think that's part of the most exciting part of what I'm doing is like really exploring the marketplace and thinking about how I can use my music skill set in all kinds of ways. And I think that when we were talking about interpreters before and interpreting past and present and future, I think that there's a lot of work that could be done with brands and music and bridging that gap of value. You know, thinking about the modern music business, it's really about audience, right? We're no longer getting a margin on something that we're selling because really streaming is about building audience and growing and engaging it. And it's really hard to build an audience from scratch. So even with traditional artists, and, you know, I've worked with the biggest, Mariah Carey and Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix and Michael Jackson, you would think like their audiences are huge and they absolutely are, but we're always wanting to build audience and of course make way for younger people getting to know older audiences. So it's not even just with young indie artists, but you know, I think that brands naturally obviously have an audience that is attracted to the brand, be it a Peloton or Soul Cycle, you know, or Hard Rock Hotel or Marriott or Nike or, you know, all of those things have audiences. And I think that there's a natural synergy and thinking about a modern modernization of commercializing music that isn't just about listen to the artist, go and check it out. It's really about combining synergies of different audiences to, you know, enhance both sides. So it's really interesting to me, like, because there's a lot of like complex rights issues that are happening. Obviously, Peloton's been in in the you know press about having a lot of issues that they're going through right now, and I think it's just a growing part of the business. And I think that you know traditional companies would do well with embracing relationships that may help to enhance their audiences. So that's really interesting to me. And also, I love fitness. I think it's something that I embrace being in a business like the, you know, music business where you're traveling constantly, you know, having a good healthy body helps you to stay strong and be, you know, on top of your game. So, you know, being able to do both music and fitness would be ideal, but you know, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't be open to going to another music company. I think there's some really interesting companies doing a lot of interesting things. Like obviously like downtown holdings, for example, like being able to make it easier for artists and performers getting paid. That's a really interesting company to me. And, you know, helping to build something from the ground up would be, you know, something I'd be very passionate in doing. I think that's awesome. It sounds like the world is your oyster. There's yes, yes. I mean, you know, (laughs) a friend of mine recently introduced me to a software sales recruiter as well. Like, I am honestly talking to everyone, and you know, I have the luxury of some time to be able to consider what's next. So, really, this has been the fun part because (laughs) I get to go for breakfast and lunch and coffees and and meet new people and just kind of talk about like what they do and 
lean information. So this is definitely the the information part. And I'm embracing the, I don't know what's next. I love it. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Continuing on with sort of advocating for ourselves, how can women do or anyone actually do a better job of like negotiating our salaries for a new job or asking for a promotion or a raise? Um, what's the best way to approach that? Because I know it's often challenging to really like advocate for yourself, especially when you have these fears tied towards money aspect of it. Yes. Um, again, not an easy topic, right? Because when you're thinking about where you work, you know, what kind of company you're working at, it's definitely there's companies where there might be more independent and not have as much money. And there's companies that have a lot of money and then have a big process of how to get through that hiring process. And you have to be a senior manager and then you have to be a director and then, you know, and it's half steps. Well, I would say, well, one piece of advice that someone very near and dear gave to me, his name is Ish Cuevas. He ran music for Transworld, which owned the FYE stores and uh, warehouse music, like old physical retailers still still happening in malls all over the world or all over the country, rather. Ish told me, look, it's, it is about the money and not about the title. You rather get more money at the same title because at one, at some point you're going to hit a ceiling in titles and you want to make sure that you've got as much money as you can. And you're on the high end of that. So when I was in my twenties, I always wanted to be a director and then I wanted to be a VP. And he would tell me just slow down and remember that the more money you get at each level, the more they have to give you as you go up. So I will start with that piece of advice because I still tell people that all the time. It's really good advice. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> My brain is ticking right now. Yeah, you would always want more money than the title. But I think that you know the best thing you can do to advocate for yourself when it comes to, to money and to title and more, more let's talk, say more responsibility is to one, obviously prove your worth. To set yourself apart, be, there's different differentiators that make you special. And I will say even at my level as a senior vice president at a major record label that I am, you know, constantly working out what my differentiators are because, because that's what really ma- makes you special. There's a lot of people that can work with accounts or there's a lot of salespeople out there, radio people, but actually the radio, radio departments and traditional record companies actually are making more money than a lot of the other departments. And that's because of their relationships. So that's one other thing that I would say, in addition to having your differentiator, whatever that is like, are you really good at data? Are you really good at helping people to understand technical issues? Or, you know, in my case, it was really relationships. Like, do you have relationships that no one else has in the company? Because it's those things that you have that others don't have that will help you to continue to get ahead. And, and that being said, if you are in the music business... I, and I can only speak for the music business, but I'm sure this is the case for other businesses as well, is your relationships with people are so important because 
Um, that will allow you to move to other companies. And when you're in a situation like me, where, you know, I'm thinking about what's next, there's a barrage of people that I can call and that would be willing to help. You know, I see some of the younger people in the business sort of, you know, kind of coming in and enjoying working with music, but not necessarily, you know, getting to know their colleagues at other record labels or at record companies and getting out there and seeing all the shows they can. And those are the people that are the people that are that are doing that are the people that are going to make it ahead because you need to be passionate about the business. We don't work at, you know, JP Morgan. So it's not all about the money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What would you tell yourself if you could, if when you were first starting your career? Oh boy. <laughs> what would I tell myself? I would tell myself that you should be passionate about what you do. Do what you feel is true to your heart. Work really hard and know everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think that's fantastic advice. Um, so I always like to end on a positive. What do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments? Well, this is a this is always an interesting question because I want to go to oh that time that I swam you know, two <laughs> miles in the Hudson River uh, I mean, during awesome. a during a triathlon <laughs> that I took on. Yes, I did do that, but and I never want to do it again. I actually done it twice, but twice? I, yeah, I did a, a two Olympic triathlons in New York City, um, and that was a definitely a big a, a big accomplishment for me. I also finished Tough Mudder, which was also a big accomplishment. But all in all, I think my biggest accomplishment is actually getting to this part in my career and my personal life where I truly am happy for all of the relationships I've gained, the skill set that I've gained, and being able to have worked so hard and truly deserve a big breath. And, and that luxury of deciding what's next is my biggest accomplishment. I think that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Olivia. I really appreciate what you're doing for Boss Ladies and look forward to hearing more from you guys. Thank you. For more information about Boss Ladies, go to www.bossladiespodcast.com. Also check us out on Instagram at Boss Ladies Podcast. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies. Boss Ladies.